You are now, are now the greatest superhero of all time, the, the amazing Captain Underpants! to the film room we have a guest with us today as you as you heard just now introduce yourself guest hello i'm zephyr i'm back yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> back for the 16th time pretty just... much i mean that may be it that may actually be accurate i'm not sure but it, this one will mark uh, number seven that's what i figured that's pretty good yeah though. By this point, we've definitely had you on for a good movie multiple times, and that's still the case today, thankfully. Mm-hmm. You hold the record. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So let's keep this let's going. Let's keep this going. Um, <laughs> today's subject, well, today's subject is what I'm going to refer to as one of the most needed movies that we've had in some time. Because I'm just going to say it right now. I think animated movies have gotten impossibly bloated. I think they have gotten yes. impossibly, like, eventful, and, like, they cost so much money, and they come out loaded with so much merchandise and so much hype. Yeah. All I can think of is the Patton Oswalt bit where he talks about doing movie punch-up, and he talks about, like, doing anime yes. movies. They're like, well, you could do this, this, and this, you know, it's on the script level, he's like... They're like, oh, no, 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 this is 90% done. We need you to just come up with jokes that characters off-screen can tell so we can make this movie funny. Like, that's kind of accurate. Yeah, and that really <laughs> is what I think animated movies have gotten to. A prime example of this would be The Boss Baby, where the budget for that one was mm. over $200 million. Yes. Um, really? Yeah. It yeah. was... Ew. I mean, I, I got this pulled up here. It is actually mm -hmm. 125 million. That's still too much. Okay, okay. Yikes. Uh, that's still too much. I remember when what Spider-Man three came out, and they they boasted a budget of 200 million, which was at the time unheard of, if I remember right. And uh, <coughs> that's a live yeah. action movie. Uh, you do see that uh, other movies cost similar. Um, Tangled, for example despite being a huge hit, will never, may never actually be in the black for Disney because it costs $250 million. yeah. Really? Jesus Christ, is that just because of the actors, or? It's, well, what it is, is it's how long that film sat in development. It takes yeah, them so long to develop these things and to get it done, you know, you can't just go and shoot, you know, a few test scenes you have to spend 
oh. just millions upon millions of dollars just to do your testing. I think I remember something about that film. It's advertising. Oh, yeah. the, mm-hmm. How about the fact that the very title is their way of getting around uh, the fact they didn't want it to only be sold to girls? That was, yeah, I remember that part. And they kind of kept that trend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Frozen. And with like yeah, but but there's I swear there was something else about like the first trailer that was well everything about animated movies has gotten to a point where they've gotten just bloated and obs- wait obscenely expensive and just too much and and I really feel like you don't ever see an animated movie anymore where you just think this was made for kids and not trying to be made. And I think that's what it is, is, that they're trying to appeal to every audience. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's given us great movies like the Lego movie and How to yeah. Train Your Dragon. But you really do have this sense of bloat that any, if it's done in animation, it has to be big, big, big. So today we're talking about the $50 million Captain Underpants, the first epic movie. A, believe it or not, small animated movie that actually got to play theaters. And it's crazy to think, by the way, that a budget of $50 million, which could make your life great for life, counts 38. as... 38. That's how much it, it costs? 38? 38 Damn, million. Even, 38 million. That's even better. Uh, that, see, that's even better. Because you don't, you can't get a romantic comedy shot for 38 million anymore. And it is a movie that is Hardcore for kids. This is not a movie that is trying to play to adults. All the same, we're adults and we're still going to give our thoughts on it. Yeah, and if it isn't already obvious, our thoughts are, we loved it. Yeah, this is an awesome movie. This is a really awesome movie. I'm the only one of us that got to see it theatrically, and I do want to stop for a moment. I I debated this morning, did I actually want to tell this story on the cast? And I do. When I saw this movie, I was pretty depressed, actually. Um, and the reason that I chose to see it in the theaters was uh, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I re- uh, the Brad Jones Midnight Screening review on it really interested me. Because he and the guy that he watched it with, they laughed their asses off at the movie. And, and really sold you that, oh, this, this sounds like a really good time. Yeah. And then I... And, and intrigued by that, I went. Um, I was having a, a bout of insomnia one night, and so I checked my e-library, and the first few books were on there. And if they'd had all of them, I probably would have just sat there and binged the whole series. They're so short. So let's talk about the books briefly. Um, the, mm-hmm. the books, uh, Dave Pilkey, uh, someone who, just a really cool guy. I, I have a lot of love for what he's been doing. He's been at this since the early 90s. Like, I don't think people realize he was like he had a book published in like an amateur artist thing. I remember like like a thing where it was, you know, amateurs. So he started young. Um, This was his big cash cow was the series. And the film rights were sold to DreamWorks at the very beginning of DreamWorks existence um, to the point where Chris Farley was considered for this part. Yeah. And. Like, this was going to be a live-action movie, and Chris Farley was considered for the role. Well, yeah, that didn't happen. I mean, the long and short of it is, DreamWorks um, 
they had the rights to this material for a long time and they couldn't crack it. Let's call it what it is. This movie really is them just going, okay, we've got to make something. They were legally obligated to make something. Yeah, or lose the rights. Or lose the rights. And they, this is what they chose to do, was they chose to do it animated. They outsourced it, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. This was not made in-house. This was not made in-house. This was outsourced, I think, to a Canadian company. Now, when you say it's outsourced, was it just the animation or, like, the entire thing? I, I'm pretty sure it was just the animation. Yeah, um, just the animation. Because the I know the guys that worked on the, the you know, the people that worked on it on a creative level were the in-house team. Uh, Nicholas Stoller, who wrote the script, is kind of the go-to guy for animated movie scripts right now. Uh, he did this. He did um, Storks. Uh, I think he's got a few others coming. Uh, he's really become uh, a go. Yeah, he's done the Lego Batman, uh, Lego yeah, Ninjago. On... Yeah. Uh, but, oh, the Muppets. Yes, and he covered Muppets, the Muppets Most Wanted. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, wow. He's cool. He's a cool dude. Uh, he, he's, uh, I didn't realize that was the person behind this. Makes sense now, doesn't it? Yes, it makes a lot of sense. Also, also a credit that hopefully later this year we'll get to talk about this in the movie in more length. Mm-hmm. The director of Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that yeah. either. Yeah, a movie that I really deeply love and really want to get into some depth on. As I said, eventually we're going to cover it um, in some way or another. If we be it that we cover it in like the. Uh, march uh in the the spring cast or that we cover it in uh another way because i think that's probably what we wind up doing just an awesome movie so a lot of talent um voice cast wise they chose to bring in um uh ed helms in the title role uh kevin hart and thomas middleditch in the as the uh, young men who are at the center of the plot um christian shawl as uh, the love interest and uh, Nick Kroll was the villain. Yeah, so Kristen Shaw, who, like, unlike all her other roles where she is entirely recognizable, she fades into this one. She's really quite invisible. Oh, and there's one mm-hmm. other voice that we're going to get to, but I, I'm going to save that one because yeah. it's weird. <laughs> it's yeah. weird. But, so, so this is very much a movie that was, you know, this was a B-team movie for DreamWorks. The boss baby got obviously the much bigger budget by three times right it got the um hype it got the better release date in the spring it got all the promotion i mean this one they really kind of i wouldn't say that they just threw it into theaters but they didn't give it a huge release like like it's surprising since with captain underpants they had 12 books to Mm -hmm. to hype it up Whereas with Boss Baby, it had virtually nothing, and yet this is the one they decide to go meh on. Yeah, it's weird. It's you know, and I think it really comes down to the fact they spent more money on Boss Baby. Yeah, I, I really think that's it. Um, if they had spent more money on this, they would have tried harder to sell it. Like they even put this out again on the same day as Wonder Woman. Did they really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ouch. No, now, it did fine at the box office. Not a huge performer, but, yeah, it's a decent box it, office. Zephyr, you got the numbers. That, 
Yes, I do. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Eight million on its first day. Twenty-three point nine on opening mean, weekend. Don't you mean tra la la? Yeah. It uh, finished second at the box office that weekend, behind. Uh, what was the What was the final box office total for it? Uh, final box office. You're looking at a tidy little one hundred twenty-five and a half million. See, see, that's they easily made their money back on this one. This was they, oh. they're in they're in hard profit on this one. Even once Absolutely. you factor out advertising, because it didn't have the biggest advertising budget in the world. Not at all. You know, when you factor in prints and advertising, this I would wager this is probably one of the most profitable DreamWorks movies ever. Um, so Especially kind of, in recent years. Nice and yeah. ironic. Yeah. Yeah. It, so, you know, it did fine. It, 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 it did fine. But it still feels like it didn't do enough. And so... It's on Netflix, so here's our goal today. Our goal is to make you, when you're done listening to this, go on Netflix and throw it on. Because this movie just really is goddamn wonderful. It it really is. It's wonderful in a way that, again, I don't see a lot of kids' movies done anymore. Uh, Film centers around uh, two boys, George and Harold, uh, played by uh, Middle Ditch and Hart. And it really doesn't matter who plays who. Those characters are yeah. basically one character in two bodies. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. They're, they're, they're two troublemakers. They pulled pranks. Um, in the books, they had a recurring use of Weird Al songs. <laughs> Did they really? We'll get to that in a, we'll get to that, uh, in a bit. Um, oh. Oh, we will get to that. Um, All right. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know... Th- and, 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 and let me just say right now how much I love the innocence of the pranks that these guys pull. Mm-hmm. It's not, we're going to, you know, fill the halls with feces. It's, we're going to make silly, dumb jokes on the marquees. It's, yeah. it's really innocent humor. Um, which I think might be the, the nicest surprise about this material is you expect something with the title Captain Underpants to be, and where the villain is named Poopy Pants. Uh, the ending does involve a giant toilet, but it's not, it doesn't, It's like, so innocent! Yeah. yeah. It doesn't make you want to vomit. It's just like, ah, No! You're never grossed out by it. Exactly. The uh, It never goes any dirtier than, oh, this is the, this is the title. You know, these are the things that's called. It doesn't show it. There's no fart jokes in the movie. There's... This is <laughs> yes, there is. There's an entire sequence. Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, you, they... you know what I mean. I, I you know what I yeah. mean, but not like in the way, not in the way that you're used to. Yes, there is of course right. an extended sequence, and I hadn't forgotten that. But no, I mean, like in the sense of the best it's part not... is the best part is that sequence is one of the funniest, just because like. They have like all this, and then there's audience applause, and like followed by just like on-screen accolades, like you know, a fake fresh rotten Wait. tomatoes, or you know, <laughs> which I'm pretty sure this is certified fresh or rotten tomatoes. But yeah, like it's not, it, but it's not like done. Like that's more of the joke, is what I mean. Like the yeah. joke isn't just the fart; it's the reaction. It's that. It's clever. It's not a, you know, 
so so anyway, getting back to the plot, because let's because let's get the plot out of the way as quickly as we can. The plot mm-hmm. is simple. These boys, they draw comics about the titular character and uh, their principal hates their pranks. He hates everything that they're doing. And uh, he just so hates kids. He just hates Pretty kids. Much. He's, he's just a jerk. And uh, he uh, and the boys get their hands on a hypnosis ring. <laughs> yeah, like a, from like a Cracker Jack box, I think. Pretty yeah, much. it's 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 a serial or something. It's a silly plastic ring, and it turns out it works. And even they're like, I can't believe this works. <laughs> mm-hmm. The principal is threatening to ex- have them separated. Yeah, uh, not expelled. Same, not expelled, but separated from the because they make too much trouble together. So they're fighting that. So they decide to hypnotize him, and in doing so, they convince him that he is Captain Underpants. And that's where the goofiness of the plot comes in, because at the same time, there's been a new teacher hired. And I have to say also that the mechanics of how Captain Underpants works, like with the split personality between the visible, uh, between the principal and him, is the way they do that is ingenious. Yeah, it's snap and he's one, snap and he's the other. And then, well, no. Actually, no, it's Snap and he's yeah, and that. Spl- and, and Splash. Splash, yeah, yeah, which they have a lot of fun with that. <laughs> yeah, they do. This movie, now one thing this movie does have a ton of is physical comedy. My God, does this movie have some blissful physical comedy. And so at the same time, you've got the uh, villain of the movie, uh, the evil Professor Poopy Pants, who is determined to drain kids of their humor. Yeah, specifically because uh, his name is Poopy Pence, and uh, he's the only one that doesn't have a sense of humor about it. Yeah, and that's the plot of the movie, is that the boys working in tandem with their unlikely superhero must stop him, uh, but at the same time, the captain doesn't realize he doesn't actually have superpowers. (laughs) And the plot manages to find a way for him to get them anyway, and it is completely ridiculous and absurd. And great. (laughs) And great. Really, this is a bizarre, blissful, silly motion picture. I don't think I can say the word silly enough to describe this film. This is a movie that... This movie feels like it was made by 10-year-old boys, is what this movie feels like. Yeah. And I mean that in the best way. This movie feels like you took what 10-year-old boys actually find funny and made that. Not a surprise, the books are a huge hit with that audience. Highly influential, too. It should be pointed out, the books... We don't talk enough about how much the books kind of started the whole trend of somewhere between a graphic novel and a traditional book. Hmm. Everything that Diary of a Wimpy Kid did is taking off from this. That format really starts with these books. Oh, yeah. The, the illi- somewhere between a, a, a graphic novel, a picture book, and a uh, thing, that's really, it starts here. Like, there's one thing uh, that I saw on Tumblr a while back that I have to look up, which is the, what's his, what's the guy's name again, like, that wrote it? Dave Pilkey. Yeah, Dave Pilkey. Yeah, the bio at the back of the book. 
uh, is very well written. Um, mm-hmm. I keep talking while I look for it. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's fine. And yeah, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the books and uh, like the the art and yeah, that's they pretty much just ripped that like all the art styles, the art style. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's direct. It's direct. It's this direct. is one of the very few times that I've seen an anima- animated movie adapt something like this, and they really go for it in terms of adapting the art style. It's not, which I think may be one reason that the movie is able to be so cheap, is that this is a yeah. simple art style. It It is. I found it about the author, and it shows him as a little kid. It says, when Dave Pilkey was a kid, he suffered from ADHD, dyslexia, and behavioral problems. Dave was so disruptive in class that his teachers made him sit out in the hall every day. Fortunately, Dave loved to draw and make up stories. He spent his time in the hallway creating his own original comic books. In the second grade, Dave Pilkey created a comic book about a superhero named Captain Underpants. His teacher ripped it up and told him he couldn't spend the rest of his life making silly books. Fortunately, Dave was not a very good listener. That's awesome. That's wonderful. That's, that's awesome, because everything about this guy's story becomes triumphant from there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's something for, you know, uh, kids that were like him to aspire to. It's like, you know, the ones that are told, you know, uh, that aren't handled well, you know, for their problems, and... You know, who are told, you know, there's something wrong with them and, you know, they're always in trouble. Like, yeah, don't give up your dreams. You know, you're special. <laughs> it really is. And that's why with this book series, you know, this was his, I mean, this was his life's work. And, you know, he's he's moved on. He's finished the series now. He's moved on to other things. But you can really sense just this was a passion thing for him to get this entire career the guy is doing. He's getting to do what he wants to do. It's very important to note those three conditions that he was diagnosed as having. How many kids with those are feeling let down and like nothing they're doing is going to matter. And this is saying that your hobbies are what will help you. Um, And, and I like that the movie kind of keeps that idea in there that for these kids, this is a big thing that they're doing. You know, they don't explicitly have those conditions, but it's made very clear. This is a passion project for them drawing and writing and Mm -hmm. the movie really is the movie really celebrates creativity this movie is weirdly message heavy can i point that out it it is you know which it doesn't really seem that way like it's yeah like it keeps it i won't say simple because that's not the right word it keeps it uh simple no simple i think is the exact right word yeah simple is a beautiful thing yeah yeah it is not only simple, but creative as well, because the different formats that the movie like yes. shows. Yeah. Up. This like, mo- there, <laughs> yeah, there's an entire sequence where it's a daydream told in the form of sock puppets. And that sequence is that sequence hurt me to watch it in the theater. Uh. I was sitting there dying, especially because there are so many jokes crammed into that sequence um oh yeah our friendship's over i'll never see you again in my life hey hey hey, calm down it's not the end of the world we'll still be best friends just way down the hall 
from each other. Well, you, oh, what am I talking about? This is bad. Long distance relationships never work. This is just the beginning. Imagine the future. Friends separated. Promising each other they'll remain besties, but within months we'll be awkwardly bumping into each other at the mall. Oh, hey, George. Hey, do, do I know you? You'll have a weird haircut. I'll be wearing a suit for some reason. And before we know it, separate classes will lead to separate lives, which inevitably leads to robots. What? Why are there robots at the mall? Because this is the future. The future always has robots. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why are the robots shooting other robots? Aren't they supposed to be friends? I don't know. I'm the artist. You're the writer. That's why we need each other. Look at the background's stores. They are so bizarre, so witty. And let me point something out. Having that, having a sequence where you can do that, that doesn't cost that much money, but it pays off so much more than if you'd spent $20 million on, a, on an equivalent sequence. It's hysterical. The movie also gets in, one of the most popular things about the book is they have sections where it's flip motion where you... Yeah, flip oh, yeah. Flip-a-rama, flip-a-rama. Yeah. In the books, that's one of the most popular things about them. And mm -hmm. they do a really... Oh, they actually have, like, the, the, a little flip book in them? Well, it's, yeah. like, it's like you go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth on the pages. Ah. Yeah. Nice. And even, even the little... Like the little bit where one of the boys tears the pages, that is so accurate to holding the physical book when you got to that point because you mm. would flip it so much and yeah, and the movie just... gets and it gets it in there in a way that it's really just kind of a neat fit. Like it, yeah. it doesn't feel like the movie is trying too hard to get the scene in there because you know it's in, it's needed. It actually happens at the exact right moment in the story where it would have happened. Mm -hmm. And it's just great. But you have that, you have... So the the animation really is weirdly experimental in this movie. Which is Again, fantastic. <laughs> I mean, this is a great-looking movie. Um, and I really think that's probably part and parcel of this not being the big DreamWorks hub looking over their shoulders. They were able to play. Yeah, definitely. And, and it really pays off. Um, again... Like on Honestly, you can make one hell of a triple feature with this, the Lego movie, and the Peanuts movie. Yeah. You really could. Movies, wow. movies that experiment. Movies that try. Movies that aren't giving you the same thing that you're used to seeing. I mean, that's what drives me and, nuts about... Go on. And also movies that adhere to the style of their source material, or at least exactly. emulate it to a very... A successful degree. Exactly, exactly. They, 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 they get it. Um, I mean, there, there is a version of the Lego Movie that's unbearable. I'm sure because they don't do that. Yeah. Like I'm sure. Like I've seen some of the Lego DC movies. Yeah. And they do a really bad job at staying true to the rules of the of the Legos. Yikes! Like they bend. They're plastic. They're, and they're not bad movies, yeah. but they're not great either. And, There's a Lego. Part of that, 
like part of that stems from the Lego video games that yeah that, yeah. that came out before the big theatrical one. So well, yeah, well, yeah, they're trying to emulate that. Yeah, when I when yeah. I heard that they were making like Lego, like the Lego movie, that's like the first thing that sprang to mind was the style of like the ones that they've done. You know, nope. direct to video, and I was just like, "How are they gonna? Like, where are they gonna do? Like, you know, are they gonna do that? Because that's kind of cheap and terrible." But then I saw what they were actually going to do, and it blew me away. Yeah, and this really—you're right. This really does remind me of that. Um, that, and, and again, that adherence, to, and also to the ideas of what these things are linked with. Um, I do have to point out, Dave Pilkey absolutely loved the film. Oh, I imagine. He was not involved. He wasn't involved? By choice. By choice. What I've read is he wanted he wanted to walk into the theater and have a good time with it, the same as anybody else. However, they however, he did have contact with the people making it. Absolutely did. The, you know, they wanted to do right by him. Uh, but he really and truly he wanted to step back and have that experience of watching it. And so he took his hands off. However, he has thoroughly endorsed the movie, as you would expect. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Why the hell wouldn't he? I mean, just why wouldn't he? It's it's so spot on. Um, They really. And, and what's interesting is they don't stay true to the story. Exactly. Uh -huh. Like there, it's a different way that he gets hypnotized in the books. And they really do yeah. kind of condense the arcs of a couple of the books into one movie. Like the villain the film doesn't show up until book four and then yeah. you have oh. wow yeah yeah and then you have cameos from well they make reference to some of the future books towards the end mm -hmm. but other than that it was just re like readapting the origin story in a way that is conventional but still able to actually tell a really nice tight story yeah it's still a movie and i think that really stems from having stoller in there to do the script because he's a good writer he knows what he's doing it's a very pragmatic adaptation and i i think that pays off because if they just adapted the first book straight it'd be over in an hour yeah mm -hmm. if that yeah i mean it'd be a 30 minute movie really so and also because they wanted to get the best villain that they could in there yeah, because looking at the, uh, like, I, I have the list of the titles up. The uh, You have The Talking Toilets, which would be book two. Mm -hmm. uh, the Incredibly Naughty Cafeteria Ladies from Outer Space in book three. Uh, Poopy Pants in book four. Wicked Wedgie Woman in number five. And it just goes on from there. Wow. So, so I, this this really does a good job of doing a pragmatic adaptation, condensing, but at the same time, not. It's not an awkward shoehorning like some of the adaptations I've seen, where they're like, "We're gonna slam all together." It's really closer to a Scott Pilgrim adaptation, really. Yeah, which is yeah, yeah, which is the way to do it, really. If you're gonna, like, if you have a lot to condense in one movie, if you have one movie to make with a lot of source material. Yeah. I mean, it ain't Lord of the Rings here, people. Yeah. 
like I don't know like Scott Pilgrim is the fir- the like the first example I can think of of that kind of adaptation, but I think I've seen several. Um trying to think oh, I can think of a really bad example. Yeah. The last airbender oh, cramming Jesus. the first Let's season not. in Let's not God <laughs> And the worst part <laughs> is how faithful it is. That might be the worst part of all. Is how faithful it is to virtually every plot point. It's just that it goes through them so fast that you, it's like oh. listening to. So- oh God, it's it's way more than that. Like I could, well, we've done a cast on it. Listen to that we one, did. number twelve. It's they. We do, hated it. They get so much wrong. Like even outside of like just being faithful to the show, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Level. It doesn't work. Notice at all. how. Notice how much you've seen the actors from those movies in uh, other stuff? No. Exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, well, outside of, like, Dev Patel. Yeah, but he doesn't count. Yes, but he doesn't count because he's a good actor. Wait, who? Oh, was he Zuko? Zuko, yeah. Shit. Side note, can I just yeah. point out that that guy growing a beard might be the best thing that ever happened to him? He is so hot. I, I'm sorry. He he's just really hot with that beard. It changed, it changed it changed the roles he was getting offered. I'll tell you that it changed nice. the roles he was getting offered. Good. Um, and and I just want to point out real quick, he's great and chappy. He's really great and chappy. He is wonderful. Yeah, he's too good for the last term. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, you'll notice that he's the only one who's gotten any work out of it. But yeah, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, but anyway, getting back to this movie. You know, in a, in a world where, in a world where, just just one more point, where the last Airbender movie was actually good, he might have made a pretty decent Zuko. He would have made a great Zuko if they'd, yeah. got, if they'd given him anything to do. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, but, back to, but back anyway, to this. Getting, in fact, this would be a good time to talk about the cast work. Um, I want to start off by pointing out how great Nick Kroll has become at kind of becoming the guy that you bring in to just play the worst character possible, to play the douche, if you will, to reference <laughs> his character from Parks and Recreation, of course. Wait, a, oh, that's him? Yeah, that's him. Ah, nice. Yeah. That's a great his work is, Yeah. <laughs> yes, he played the douche on that. Just because, like, oh, I'm not actually a douche in real life, but I still do all these douchey things. Like, So you actually are. Oh, no, it's just my well, character. But you're still an well, asshole. He does. Well, he does voice the douche in Sausage Party. Oh, God. I guess that's I guess that's a character type for him. Mm. Um, isn't he also the guy uh, primarily behind Big Mouth? Like yes. the creative force. Yeah. Yeah. Him and him and John Mulaney. Him oh, and John yeah, Mulaney. That's right. John Mulaney is it? That's a that's a show that I think like. If it wasn't so gross, I'd watch more of it because it looks like it's really well done. It's funny. It's, it's funny. funny. It's but really it's just gross. It's really, really gross, and I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. It, the animation style honestly throws me off. It is like, hard to watch, but it's it's honestly it's hard to watch. But they're funny guys. Yeah. So, but I really like his. I was just listening to John Mulaney today. Hilarious. Oh, which which part? Uh, two of his albums, the top part, and uh, and probably my favorite of his. New in town. New in town, yes. Yeah, that's that's, that's good stuff. Um, that's great. His new his new special is art. 
His oh, new yeah. special is stand up as it is supposed to be. The, the entire bit about the horse. The horse and the hot. I had to show my parents that. Because oh, <laughs> he it. just. But anyway. Yeah. Getting he on just topic. But yes, getting back on topic. topic. I love Nick Kroll's work here. He is clearly having fun doing this exaggerated German accent that in no way sounds real. He <laughs> he is tearing into being the villain. He's really the standout of the film because pretty much everybody else is doing their standard stuff. I, I, mm-hmm. I And that's fine. That's fine. Can we also talk about the one that's really kind of hidden? I mean, Let's the kid, talk about that one. The kid, the kids' voices are all kind of sped up, like South Park eyes, kinda. Except for not, they actually, they actually do make them sound like kids. Yeah, um, you don't have to do that much to make Kevin Hart sound yeah. high pitched. Yeah, no, but uh, the one that's like, wow, really hidden is Jordan Peele, Academy Award-winning screenwriter Jordan, Jordan Peele. Peele. Yes, who we have to refer to him as that now. Yes, it's the law. I, yeah. I just I have to point that out. Mm-hmm. He is uh, so wonderful. He is still an Academy Award winning screenwriter, admittedly for a goddamn brilliant screenplay. Mm-hmm. But oh, I still absolutely. Have, I still have to point out Jordan Peele won an Oscar for a Bloomhouse horror movie. We never can, and that's absurd. Really absurd is the part that he plays here as a white nerd. <laughs> yes, a white nerd who does not get humor. Yeah, and he does it in the most nasal, <laughs> high-pitched, just stereotypical nerd voice ever. Yeah. It is great. He is hysterical. It's fantastic, and I just, no matter, I, I kind of knew it was him, but I could not hear, like, I had trouble hearing it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of, he kind of has, the only other performance that really it reminds me of is Daniel Craig in, uh, the Adventures of Tintin, where you look at the credits, oh, you're like, yeah. really? Yeah, that one's still, by the way, I'm like, what? Really, really, that, that that's him. We're, we're sure on this. He he did the voice, too, because that is so utterly un-James Bond. Because mm-hmm. he's ranting and raving and screaming and emotional. And I'm like, wow, this guy has real untapped range. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. God, I love that movie. We we need to do a cast on that at some point. But anyway, yes. getting back to this one. I yeah, I love that Peel is almost invisible in it. I love, again, I feel like Middle Ditch and Heart are basically doing the kind of things you expect. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's fine. I, I, that, I, I think that's kind of nice. Straight down the middle humor. Um, yeah. And Ed I, Helms. I didn't recognize him. like Thomas Middle Ditch's name, but I knew his work because I have I'm a big fan of Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah. Which he is fantastic in. And I, I, again, Helms, it's the kind of thing we've seen him do a million times before, but he's good at it. And so that's fine. And he's clearly having fun. He has a lot of fun with the ridiculously pompous voice and just the, just the absurd going for it. Again, I feel like that's this movie in a nutshell is, it's not afraid to go for anything. It, it embraces what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Shaw is great. It's a small, invisible part for her. And she's good. I, I really like that. I like seeing her try something new. This is this is not Louise Belcher. <laughs> or, or uh, for that matter, 
Mabel Pines. No, it's not. It's something very different, and, and that's great. I love that she did that. I love that she steps back. I don't know. And I have to point out, like, character-wise, like, this could have been easily, like, uh, yeah, this could have easily been a terrible film. Like, eat, like, very easily. Like, it could have been, it could have been mean-spirited, too. Like, and it's yeah, not. like, it, it's not. Like, it could have been mean-spirited if it was adapted right when they first got the rights and had Chris Farley. Like, yeah. That that could have really killed the franchise as a whole. And yet, For one thing, this could never have been live action. Can we agree that this mm-hmm. never oh, could have worked in live oh, action? I agree. Oh, wholeheartedly, yeah. no. Yeah, no. Like the amount of controversy involved in making it live action alone would just only add to its uh, reputation for controversy in itself as being one of the most challenged books in yeah. school libraries. Is it, though? Like, is it really? Yeah, it is. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It is. Weird. Which yeah. is weird, because they're such yeah. innocent books! I- I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, you have book after book after book that teach kids the value of competition and of, you know, all these terrible virtues, and all these books are about is how nice it is to have a sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. Come on! The thing I was really surprised by, like, pleasantly surprised by, is how, like, how nice they are to the principal character. Like, you know, they stand up to be this, like, really humorless guy that's just out for them. And they could have been, like, I don't know, screw this guy, whatever. But no, there's, like, you know what? He doesn't really have any friends. I think we should set him up, like, at the end of the And it doesn't feel forced. I know! When they get to that point, it really does feel like, okay, they've been through this experience, and they've realized this. Mm-hmm. They also, they also get in a wonderful bit with the principal where he gives them the comics back and says, you know, these are actually pretty funny. Yeah, I, I might have read them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that's great. Love, which, which, by the way, is widely theorized that they put that scene in there in part to get through a plot hole. Which oh. is, how would he know how to act like Captain Underpants if he hadn't read them? That's right. Huh. Yeah. This this was a nice little bit of papering over a plot hole that has bugged fans of the books. Nice. And it's genuine. Again, it's a sweet movie. And it's... I love how the movie is really about how these boys, they value their friendship. They don't want to be separated. That's what's at stake is mm-hmm. their friendship, and that's what drives the film. Again, how many movies have tried to have this message and been unbearably saccharine and unwatchable? Mm-hmm. And here's a movie that's just... It's funny. It's genuinely laugh-out-loud hilarious. Yeah. But it's not... But it's not rude. It's, it's not over-the-top about it. Getting back to the controversy of it, it it's not... Not just that, but the... Uh... The last book in the series actually reveals that uh, Harold is gay. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. it does. And it's in, casually in the done. Book, yeah, casually <laughs> done. No, they just show... No fuss, no Yeah, pretty much. There is a picture of Harold and his partner and kids yeah, talking, to, uh, talking to uh, George and his wife and their kids. Mm-hmm. 
and it's it and it's explicitly stated it's, he was there with yeah. his husband, and that's it. Yep. Yeah. Nice, nicely done. Yeah. That's. Which, by the way, that is kind of how I like to see my representation done, yeah. which is just there. And, you know, but yes, people hate that because they think it's forced. No, you know what's forced is hetero only books and TV and movies where that's all that you see. That's forced. For God's sake, I live in Little Rock, Arkansas, and that's not even the case. So. Yes, but yes, that did earn the books a little bit of controversy. I should point out, by the way, the fan base for the books loved it. Yeah. The fans loved that because because I think the books have always drawn people who feel like outcasts. I think there is a certain amount of that outsider spirit. You know, that's another thing. They celebrate creativity. But how often do you see the message of creativity being celebrated in a way that it's just crammed down your throat? Yeah. I think some I think that's something that DreamWorks is really guilty of with their movies. Um Oh god. We may yep. need to cover Shark Tale at some point. Yeah. Oh dear lord. Oh. Mm. Oh god, that movie mm. hurts. I haven't that seen movie, it. But let me let me tell you it is a rough ride. It there, is Oh boy. You don't even want to know who plays the blowfish in the movie. You really don't. That. This is, yes, that's, yes, for some reason the blowfish has giant eyebrows. Uh... No! 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 And the worst part is this was the same season. That movie came out the same season as, uh, what was it? Uh, the Aviator. Really? Really had to go for balance there, Marty, huh? Oh god. Couldn't have, couldn't have one of your best films in theaters without having the worst thing you've ever been involved in. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because... Yeah, oh, dear lord. Okay, so... Shark Tale opened up the same weekend as Saw and I Heart Huckabees. Oh, shit. You know, it's really sad when I can say without hesitation, Saw is by far the best of those three movies. <laughs> Either way, it's torture. <laughs> yeah, but the thing about Saw is, at least Saw is clever and has one hell of a phenomenal twist. Yeah. At least I could enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I think it's been out long enough that uh, we can agree that uh, that twist doesn't need spoil. That twist has already been spoiled a million times over. Oh, definitely. I haven't seen it, and I've had it spoiled... Like, That's but a it's brilliant okay. twist, yeah. And yeah. also, Saw is by James Wan. I love James Wan. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. What's, what's he, cool, dude? What's he doing, like, right now? Aquaman. I forgot. Aquaman. Aquaman. That's right. Because I knew yes. he was doing something significant right now. Aquaman. Cannot wait for that. So, okay. Nice. And You know what? Actually, now that you brought up I Heart Huckabees, bad news. Bad news. They're bad news. a sequel. No, I'm ringing the bell. We're going to have to cover it. That'll be the one we'll cover. We're going to have to cover it. Side note, I saw I Heart Huckabees in the theater. We'll be covering that one. Get your crowbars out. But anyway, so yeah, Shark Tale is, it's just so bad. And I feel like that's the thing. I feel like so many DreamWorks movies are like Shark Tale. DreamWorks, DreamWorks has, I've always felt like PDI 
which was what this branch of the animation started out as, mm-hmm. they've never really, I don't think they've ever really cracked it. I think they've had some good movies. I think the first two Shreks are phenomenal. I think Kung Fu Panda as a franchise is pretty good. Yeah. But when you get, but by and large, when you think of a DreamWorks movie, it's stuff like this or Puss in Boots or. Puss in Boots wasn't like, even bad. It was just, I mean, it was thoroughly mediocre. That's what most it, of their movies are. It was are. there. It was there. Like, I feel like, and I feel like that's what most DreamWorks movies are. As I said, I think the first two Shreks are an exception. The second one, maybe more so than the first. Yeah, I think I remember when Shrek came out, uh, it was like, you know, DreamWorks kind of, they did a few animated things. Okay, no, they did, <laughs> they did Prince of Egypt, and that was their best, yes. but they really hadn't had a hit until, like, after that. Un- until until Shrek. Shrek. Yeah. Yeah. And then Shrek felt, at the time, like a breath of fresh air, just because it was clever. I mean, Disney, Disney. Was flailing at that moment. Let's be clear. Disney had no idea what they were doing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Disney really—they go through periods as a company where they're just lost. It's fascinating. And I—I I would even say that DreamWorks has been in that state ever since they—they've been doing like one film a quarter for the past. Yeah. And that's a mistake. Five years or so. Yeah. Yeah. And I th- it, it's a mistake because you have so much rushed content. There's not much care behind them. It, like looking at the stuff that they've put out, you have, oh God, where do I begin? Uh, Madagascar three, mm-hmm. Rise of the Guardians, the Crudes. Rise of the Guardians Turbo. was not bad. But that's just it. A lot of their stuff is, not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Every yeah. so often you'll get a Kung Fu Panda 2 that really rises up and becomes something. And then you'll have, and as I said, I think that this one being outsourced and handed off might really be the reason that it got away from being not bad. Yeah. Because everyone was motivated to try, but with DreamWorks, they're not trying. I mean, Disney, to their intelligence, they do one film, the way that they do it is, there's a Pixar movie, and there's a Disney movie a year. Yeah. Yeah. You get to put your, you get to put all your eggs in one basket. That's a smart move. Mm-hmm. Don't oversaturate the product. Sometimes Disney will have two movies a year. Zootopia was the exception just because of its, like, the way the production went. Because it was supposed to come out way earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and like Pixar's done the two film a year thing as well. However, that's not always gone well. It hasn't. <coughs> Good dinosaur. <laughs> Good God. Uh, and that and again, like my review of that was just the adequate dinosaur. Yeah, adequate. So I I I liked seeing a movie like this where. I guess because the stakes are lower, they swung harder. I don't know why that is. But I feel like the stakes were lower, so they swung harder. And again, I like that it's a modest plot. This isn't a huge movie like Megamind, for example, which is big and it trying was actually to be this... pretty good. Yeah, Megamind's actually pretty damn good. Yeah, I, 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 I point out that. Megamind is probably 
honestly, Megamind might be one of the best DreamWorks movies. Yeah. I wouldn't say, yeah, I would, I'd say I'd put it probably on the same tier as the first How to Train Your Dragon. It, it's it's in that area. It's in that area. It's in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's in that neighborhood. It helps that Will Ferrell is actually a good voice actor. Again, I, I like that the actors that they got for this, maybe not necessarily A-list, like big stars, though Kevin Hart certainly guarantees box office, but mm-hmm. guys who were right for their movie, guys who were right for this. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see them going to a bigger name for Poopy Pants and it not being as good as just the joy of Nick Kroll being hilarious. Now, the one big name that they did get indisputably is let's talk about the theme song for a moment, yeah. shall we? Yes, yes, let's. Yeah, can I point out that most movies nowadays don't have theme songs, and that stinks. Yeah, yeah. I miss that. I miss that. I miss movies having big theme songs. One of the brilliant things that uh, Seth Rogen did uh, with uh, Pineapple Express was. Uh, he and his writing partner, they wanted a theme song. Yeah. And they wanted it to be an 80s-style theme song. So what did they do? Huey Lewis in the News did a song that recaps the plot of that movie. Did they really? Yeah, it's I better than... I remember that. And it's better than the movie, to be honest. It's better than the <laughs> film. Yeah. So this movie does the same. Now, Dave Pilkey did not want to know who was doing the theme song. <laughs> he didn't want to know until it was an, until they released the video. And then he found out that Weird Al Yankovic did the theme song. <laughs> My Wonderful. God, I love the theme song for this movie so much. It's great. And I think Weird Al is the perfect person to do the theme song for this movie. I can't think of a second choice because no, yeah. One of the things I think I said was, "Hey, my my uh, inner eight year old absolutely loves this movie, and so you know what better like way to personify yeah. that musically than by going, hey, Weird Al, like you know, Weird Al's not just for eight year olds, but you know that's about the time when you discover him and really like yeah." Yeah. And he has the same like, thing going where it's innocent. Yeah. Like, honestly, the only other group that I could think of that might come that would have done the theme song would be, uh, would be, uh, they might be giants. Yeah. Yeah. That would, really but it be wouldn't be as, it, it wouldn't be as good though. That, that's the thing. And it wouldn't be as instantly iconic. There is something about, I mean, Weird Al Yankovic is to parody music what, look, there is nobody else. He is the compare, he is the grand titan of this field. He is, he is the Michael Jordan of it, except without being a terrible human being that no one can stand. Wow, is he? No, I said, I said, no, I mean, Michael Jordan, like, is Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan Jordan is an atrocious human being. I was like, oh no, I know Weird Al is an awesome guy. Yeah, no, Michael Jordan is a horror story of a human being, if you ever read up on him. He, he is loathsome. But, but, Weird Al Yankovic, he's, he's just the perfect guy for this. And as I mentioned, they referenced, uh, Dave Pilkey referenced him in the books several times. 
And I think that's exactly perfect because it's that kind of smirking naughtiness that's still very PG, still very innocent. And by the way, I want to point out, Yankovic has, it's not an accident that his music is that way. He has fought hard to keep his stuff family friendly. He knows kids love his stuff. And rather than, you know, feeling like that was a restriction, yeah, he loves it. And even, it helps at, too that, even at that, like, there are some risque elements to his music, but they're, they're like the kind oh, yeah. of risque that you're not going to realize as a kid. Exactly. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's very why subversive. Yeah. And that's why he's one of, I mean, as I said, look, we could go on forever about how great the guy is. He is, he's weird out. What more is there to say? I, I just, I don't know what else to say. I love the man's work. And the theme song that he put together for this is just it's so exuberant. Oh, it's so loud. It's so bold. And it's funny. You could. It's a great fit. And it leaves you feeling a great. In a great mood. It. Yeah. Like it's probably some of the best stuff that he's done in. In a while. And perhaps. that says a lot. Because he's been. He hasn't exactly been in a slump. I wouldn't say. But it is. It's. And I, again, I just, I love it because it really is a cherry on top of this film. And I don't know. Again, I just love that here's something that it's good hearted. It's good natured. It's funny. And it's about what kids find funny. I really think that a lot of movies that are aimed at kids are about what adults think is funny. Yes. I agree. I mean, I don't want to pick on it too much, but I really think that's what movies like the Emoji Movie are. Yeah. Is I mean, I love it to death, but I don't necessarily feel like the Lego Movie is exactly aimed at a kid's sense of humor. Exactly. Yeah. It feels like it's playing older. Now, the Lego Movie is art. I want to be clear. I think the Lego Movie is just incredible, but it is playing to an older idea. This movie really embraces the dumb, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And it just does it so well. And I don't know. I just I like having that. I think it's therapeutic to have movies like this where they're just innocent. And I don't know. I mean, again, I didn't see the emoji movie, so I'm not going to pick on it too much. Hey, exactly. Uh, but I, what? But I. But I didn't yeah. see it for a reason. Yeah. Saw this. Saw this in the theater. Didn't hesitate to see this. Yeah. Like, I... Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not... Yeah, I have no interest in seeing the other movie. It's just, I know Patrick Stewart plays a literal piece of shit. You know, that was supposed to be Jordan Peele. Was it really? Peele turned it down. Peele said that that's the reason he quit acting. Oh, God. I, I you know, on the one hand, thank God he turned it down. On the other hand, oh, no. I... Honestly, I think the big reason that Peel quit acting is would would you stay in acting if uh, your other job that you tried out worked as well as his did? Uh, no, actually, he has a much better job. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's he is working on his second film now. It'll be out next year. Good, awesome. He's not he's not he's not waiting long. Um, but yeah, I just I don't know. I, I just I like, and I want to stress this isn't a major movie. This is not Wally. This is not a life-changing film. It's just a dumb guy movie. Yeah. 
But again, how nice is it to have a dumb guy movie? There, you know, there was one. Uh, sorry, there was one point that you guys wanted me to bring up that I mentioned earlier in the in the group chat, and it was that this film is to Deadpool what Rango is to Blazing Saddles. I love that. I love that. It is the kid-friendly version. It is the yeah. kid-friendly version. Yes, I would agree with that. I, I think that's spot on. I, you know, I would put this in the same class as Rango pretty easily. It's that same oh, kind yeah. of, it's that same kind of goofiness. That same kind of just having a great time. Yeah. Also, Rango. Fun fact: Rango is the last time Johnny Depp meant anything on screen. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Remember that. Yep, that's where I stop with my uh, Depp filmography. What little I do have. I don't think I've gone any further. I don't think I've gone any further since myself. Uh, yeah, I come to think about it. Uh, he may have been in a few things I've seen, but I I didn't seek anything out that he was in. Uh, I mean, yeah, I did see uh, Fantastic Beasts in the theater, but other than that, I'm like, I... Oh, God. Can I just point out that going from Colin Farrell is the villain, and it's like, all right, Colin Farrell, badass actor, love him, he's great in everything, he's trying... Oh, he's really Johnny Depp. Uh... Bite me. Bite me. And... That's such a massive downgrade. I can't even. And the whole controversy of them not exploring Dumbledore's sexuality, which was cowards. Yes. Yes. Fucking cowards. I hate it because you've got Jude Law in there as young Dumbledore. I this guy can. You have someone in there who can do anything, and you can't even just briefly acknowledge that he's gay because. Jude Law's <laughs> Young Dumbledore is such awesome casting that I would totally be down for this movie. Yeah, so I, I just really my final thoughts on this movie, just to get them on, is it's it's not a major film. I will say I watched the trailer for the animated series they're doing. It looks cheap. It looks silly. I'll watch an episode. I'll watch an episode of it. Looks good. Looks good. It looks like they're trying. It looks like they're trying. Um, is it this doesn't going to be Netflix. Yeah, it'll be a Netflix original. The way that DreamWorks does it is they've been doing Netflix original series based on all their movies. Yeah. Uh, I, there's a boss there's a boss baby show. Oh, I'm painfully aware. Like one day, like, my nephew wouldn't stop seeing the boss baby like theme and it tore my heart out. No, this one looks fine. This one looks fine. I'd obviously nobody involved in the movie is coming back and I expected that. It looks fine. It looks fine. Yeah. I don't I don't think it'll be anything special, but it looks fine. I I, I like that they're doing it, because we're not going to get a sequel, so at least this way I can get something. Yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. But I, I don't know. I just, as I said, I dug this movie, and uh, those are my final thoughts on it. And It's on Netflix, so watch it. Yes, please watch it. Yes, please do. Hearty recommendation from all three of us. Yep. Mm. And, uh, I don't know. We will uh, we will be back at you next time. And yep, yeah. you can find us at filmroom.org. Yes, be sure to check out our sister show, uh, The Ship Has Sailed, on YouTube and on this feed and on the website. I've got plans for the tie-ins that bind. I just looked at the Casablanca novel. 
Ooh. Yeah, I'm going to spoil it. about that one. Yep. Well, I'm going to let y'all go, so I'll talk to y'all later. All right. Okay. All right. Bye. 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 Now, let me ask you something. If you could control your principal, what would you do? Shh, shh, shh. It's starting. <laughs> are there in tra-la-la? -la. What? I'll just go with 11.